Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As those of you who tune in regularly will know at this point, we release podcasts in three different formats. We've our 10 minute lesson series where the aim is to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people need to know on topics such as the annual budget process, basic income and the sustainable development goals. We have our seminar series where we provide the opportunity to listen back to some of the most important presentations we've had at past events. And then we have our interview series where we chat to experts on a wide range of policy areas. This week it's one of those. I'm joined by Stuart Hamilton. He's head of libraries development for the local government management agency here in Ireland. And he chats with me about the vital work of libraries within their communities right across the country, successes and challenges, new initiatives, and most importantly, that they are about a lot more than books. We hope you enjoy it. Maybe the first question to ask you, Stuart, and this might be a very unfair one, is in the age of the internet, I have every piece of information that's available to humankind, either on this computer that I'm talking to you on or in my phone, why do we even need libraries? Well, you don't have every single piece of information available <laughs> to you on your phone. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's just simply not true. Um, I suppose we could divide this up into two parts. I mean, I think what you're referring to is the fact that if you want to find out something, you're able to go on your phone and you're able to Google it. And then from there, at least, you're, you're on your own with regards to uh, your own information, seeking, understanding skills about whether or not you get the information that, that you're after. And that much is, is, is definitely true that, you know, the amount of information available to us online is absolutely astounding uh, when, when you, you think where we were 25 years ago. I think the idea that we'd be wandering around with supercomputers in our pockets, you know, hadn't even occurred to us. Certainly hadn't really occurred to me when I started working in public libraries in sort of 96, 97, although the Internet was beginning to start then and, and you could see the potential. But if we just go down that way of thinking, then then, yeah, look, there's a lot of information sources out there. Uh, you can sink or swim in them when it comes to information resources, when it comes to understanding them, the libraries offer you a little bit of special source. If you're just starting out in the digital universe. And to be honest, a lot of people still are. I mean, we still have a lot of people in Ireland that that are not online as uh, as regularly as you might imagine. People that need basic digital skills. The pandemic certainly revealed that. You can go to a library and, and you can get your wings, you know, your or your or your or your sort of inflatable uh, bits for, for going swimming in all of this universe. We do training. We do media and information literacy. We help you understand what resources are, are, are solid and trustworthy and that you might wish to explore further. But we also draw your attention to sort of, you know, the, the red light areas of the Internet and, and libraries do that. But then you've also got the expertise of library staff themselves. So, I mean, if you do decide to go into a library building, and you're looking for a certain piece of information, the librarian behind the desk will be able to go online and, and look for that for you using the skills that they have to understand what's, shall we say, high quality information and what's not. And there we come to an interesting sort of thing because basically, you know, you have everything that's available for free on the internet in your pocket, but you may not have access to things that libraries will actually subsidize and pay for in terms of online and electronic resources. So, you know, we may have access to uh, databases, business registers that you might need to you know, register your business 
understand how to pay your taxes, all of that sort of stuff, that actually we're adding a, a sort of an additional level of, of resource for you in the online world through the libraries. But then if we switch and we think about, you know, libraries core business and what people, you know, maybe originally associated libraries with, which is books and reading, you certainly don't have everything available to you on your phone. I mean, you're talking here about pieces of information that are tied up in copyright, uh, that basically, you know, you're going to need somebody else to, pro to provide you access with them. So, you know, our online reading uh, platform, BorrowBox, you know, there's all sorts of, uh, of books, e-books, e-audio books available on there that you certainly couldn't get without paying for them. But we'll make them available to you for free. So, you know, um, it is maybe a bit of a cliche that we've got everything in our pockets, but I think it only takes a couple of minutes to think about it before you realise we don't. Libraries as a public space are the only place I can think of where you can spend time without spending money. Definitely. Uh, I personally love that about them. One of the reasons why I went into working in libraries is, is that precise thing. It's, it's outside for, for, the, for the library user, for the person that goes through the doors, it's outside of the market for the reasons that you just, you just uh, said. And, you, you know, you really are free to make of the library space and resources what you wish to, which I think in the type of world that we've developed for ourselves, is a is a remarkable island of calm almost where where you know you actually get the the chance to engage on your terms without having to to pay or or you know jump through needless hoops uh, to do that under the hood there's an awful lot of procurement and rules and regulations that go into a library service but that's what the professional librarians are there to do to to set up so as the user, your experience is unclouded by all of that and you get the information and the resources you need free at the point of entry, which you know, is a tremendous thing for a society to be able to have. This is something I found in the papers over the weekend. She makes the point here is that it has been considered dangerous for certain groups of people not only to read, but to have access to a wide variety of books, not just the ones prescribed. So you and me would take for granted that we can walk into a library and we can access any book that's, as you said, that's in print, that's in public. So as a, as a woman, I can go into a library, I can educate myself. These are things that, again, we take for granted, I think, don't we? That, OK, I know we have a, a certain amount of censorship, but there isn't a prescribed reading list that I can only access those books. Like that's really important in, as you said, that kind of non-market democratic tool yeah. of a library. Yeah, look, we're, we're lucky enough to be talking about this in, in Ireland, within the EU, in the West. My early career was spent working on intellectual freedom issues for libraries. So my master's thesis looked at dissident librarians in Cuba. Uh, and I went to Cuba to investigate whether the US government was covertly funding libraries in people's houses that were offering books on subjects that were not available in Cuban libraries. It's a very, very complex story, but the, but the fundamental bottom line is that in, in many countries around the world over the years, and even today, the sorts of freedom that we would take uh, for granted in terms of our own personal reading lists and what we want to go after, is uh, it just doesn't exist. So, you know, you, you will have countries that will, you know, make available materials in accordance with the pervading ideology within the country. 
But equally, even in, you know, as fundamentally a Western country as the United States, you'll find a lot of pressure on libraries and librarians to remove certain titles or to protect the children from certain titles. And, you know, that does occasionally make its way over to Ireland, to the UK, to Europe. You know, it's, it is something which librarians are used to dealing with. But what we can see in the US at the moment is the number of challenges to materials held by libraries in the US is rocketing year on year in the last four or five years. So there's still, even in a kind of Western context, and outside of the state to an extent, which is where I think we were, we were starting this sort of conversation point, and perhaps more located in the in the individual and groupings around certain political philosophies, there's still a kind of idea that um, certain titles should not be accessed by certain types of person, mostly relating to, to younger people. But, you know, the libraries are, are doing a disservice to their communities by offering these titles. It shouldn't be allowed. They should be taken off the, uh, the shelves now and, and, and put away somewhere safe. So unfortunately, that is still with us. But in Ireland, at least, we have a, a fantastic amount of freedom. To, to read what we want. Long may it last. I indeed, I second that. And I suppose that the difficulty then is that your reading lists outweigh your longevity. That's my that's my own personal concern. Is that yeah? Well, that's I suppose that's the that's the beauty of, of books and indeed music, which is you know another one of my passions. You're never going to listen to it all. You're never going to read it all. So you better make good choices. I suppose when you're a book lover or a music lover, you you learn how to to find your space, yeah. the, the area that you want to read in, you build up where you go for your recommendations. You know, whether, you know, when I was a kid, I used to read the, the music press. Now you can read music blogs online. And in the reading ecosystem, you know, certainly the internet has generated good reads and, and all of this sort of stuff now owned by Amazon, I think. What you still have is the public library system because you can go in and you can say, look, I've really enjoyed this book. What else is happening in this area? And, and our librarians will help you out. And, uh, and that, I think, is another amazing facet of what a public library system does, is that it's, it's you know, staffed by people who, who love to read or to listen, have a genuine interest in, in the culture and, and want to share that, which is one of the reasons why I absolutely adore it as a job. It's, like, you know, fantastic. Purely because of the sheer volume of stuff that's out there, you do need some sort of curation. You do need some sort of, if you like this, you will also like that. What interests me as well is the way that, that you know, society is trying to deal with this. We have the algorithm, the all-powerful all algorithm. And I shouldn't say society, really. I should say the, the technology sector in trying to, uh, in inverted commas, help society make sense of all of this sort of stuff. And, and that I find kind of interesting because I suppose the one that most people will know is the Amazon. Well, if you if you yeah. liked this, then then you'll like this. And that that has, you know, it's never recommending me the things that that I actually want. You know, maybe because at some point I bought a baby's toy or, or, yeah. or you know, I bought like a clothesline and then it kind of interrupts the algorithm a little bit. But or Spotify would be another fantastic sort of example in this sort of area. I, I actually really hate being told what to like by an algorithm i i really hate it which is not to say it can't be really useful to other people this is yeah. like a purely personal thing but you know if i want to find out about books or music i can go and find out from somebody who knows about books or music and i can get in that way but it comes back a little bit to what i sort of was talking about at the beginning which is you know in such a massive sea of information huge numbers of titles 
yeah, you do need a few skills to be able to navigate through it. Things well about the libraries is that it isn't just books. As you said, it's newspapers, it's three D printers, it's music, it's movies, it's kids' readings groups, it's academic books. I know myself from sort of previous studies that having access to textbooks that would have set me back eighty or ninety euro was incredible. Now that resource, being able to go into the librarian with my reading list and they might get five out of the 10 or seven out of the 20. So that's all you'd need anyway. To be able to have that around the corner from me and then you get the text to say your books are in, you can extend out the borrowing times. So it isn't just about going in and getting the best sellers. It's not just about going in and getting... No, and, and you know, I mean, I obviously work in, in public libraries here in Ireland, but I've worked throughout my career with, with academic libraries, with national libraries. And um, I mean, you're raising something really interesting because fundamentally you know the situation you just described is is what we want to deliver through academic and, and educational library resource uh, provision what we're actually seeing now particularly after the pandemic is the publishers of those materials placing more restrictions on what we're allowed to do for you as a student and putting more barriers in the way of libraries to provide some of those particularly educational resources. And we actually have a major situation facing librarians in Ireland and, and, and all around the world at the moment with regards to the price and availability of, of e-books, particularly, um, particularly academic e-books, where you might pay 45 euros for the hardcover of the book that your library got you when you were studying. You know, that was handed over to you. Good job. Off you went, did your stuff, brought it back. Now, if we want an ebook of the same title, it might cost us 400 euros. There's no discernible reason for that other than, I'm afraid to say, egregious price gouge. It's very much under the radar, but we're bringing it to the attention of the uh, Consumer and Competition Protection Commission here in Ireland. Our colleagues in the UK are bringing it to the Competition and Markets Authority. And basically there is there's only one of two things really happening either the publishers in that market are setting out to exploit libraries and basically increase their profits by realizing that libraries need these textbooks for the students there's no way they can do without them for exactly what you just said they're on the reading list they're prescribed by faculty so they've seen that and they said you know what these guys can't push back so we're basically going to take the mickey out of them by doing this or they're going down that direction to change the model by which they provide textbooks and cut the library out altogether and look at a different model where universities will pay them per head by student uh, and this is you know very very concerning to the community here in Ireland in some cases this week, we had a situation where a very major publisher, Wiley, in the academic sector, literally just decided to pull titles from the list that it had previously made available for libraries that were on reading lists for the universities here in Ireland. So just basically pulling them from one bundle that had already been purchased, making them available at standalone, stupid high prices, so they'd need to be repurchased. And this is going on very much under the radar of most people, although I am very pleased to say that the uh, the students at UCD have recently been in touch with us, so they're very much aware of it. Students in the UK, we're looking forward to working hopefully with the National uh, Union here in, in Ireland. But 
it, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that, and I alluded to it earlier on, is that what we want to be able to make happen is that library services are free at the point of delivery for the user. But that becomes increasingly difficult when the prices under the hood are going through the roof. I thought this podcast would actually be an interesting place to raise some of these issues because what we're talking about is market impact on areas that, you know, we previously discussed how pleasant it is to be outside of the market. There is a whole conversation, as you said, about the, the infringement of the market on what is a public or common good, housing, education, health, and for it to be the infringing upon the library space is, as you said, it's, it's not accidental. Well, particularly in the academic sense, the companies that basically, I mean, if we, even if we start with the, with the public library sector, so the Irish publishing sector is fantastic. Irish publishers, mostly small publishers, are fantastic. We have great relations with them. They provide great services here. But when you move to the rest of the English language speaking world, it's dominated by five big publishing companies. So, you know, Penguin Random House, HarperCollins, Hachette, etc. These guys are able to charge us in public libraries for our ebooks three times the price of what the same title would cost in print. If we switch across to the academic sector, Again, the provision of journals or, or textbooks is again dominated by a handful of companies that instead of three times, they can, they, can, they can go, you know, 10 times or more the price. And there, once you take a look at the underlying profits of those companies, you can see that annually their profit margin, margins are 20, 25, 30 percent consistent year on year. They're a great investment if you've got the, the money to invest in uh, relics or, you know, uh, what yeah, Elsevier connected. So it's um, it's really something it's, it's a really great industry to be in, uh, particularly as very often they're all they're really doing is recycling the efforts of faculty within universities, repackaging their efforts and then selling them back to universities. So it's uh, it's I think it's uh, it's it's, as I say, it's very much under the radar. and um, it's very difficult to justify, but on it goes. I didn't think that a library podcast would make me as sad as you just have done. <laughs> I can do lots more happy stuff. <laughs> it's just that that Wiley thing has really wound me up because it's yeah. happened this week. And really, there's no one to challenge them on this yeah. on this kind of decision. You know, the, the narrative, at least, over the transition from kind of old media, media to digital whether it's books, particularly music, but, but also, you know, movies and television, has been that, uh, and this went back, maybe not to digital, but, you know, this started with the video recorder, was that basically, immediately, people were going to start pirating things and eating into the profits of these big companies. What we've actually seen over the 20, 30-year sort of thing of digital, particularly in the library sort of uh, area, is that the profits of the big companies haven't really been affected at all. So, but yet the narrative is always piracy, piracy or, or theft, infringement. It's a very effective piece of lobbying and advocacy that, you know, has been particularly successful in the United States with various things that they do around copyright. But I've also, for many years, worked on copyright reform at the World Intellectual Property Organization in Geneva where we've been trying to get an international treaty for libraries and archives to basically bring the international copyright framework up to date, you know, because we're still kind of fundamentally stuck on, you know, libraries being able to make digital copies of things. I mean, that's, the, that's the fundamental thing. 
the, the, the same sort of companies that I've been talking about opposed an international treaty to increase access to materials for visually impaired and blind people for the same reasons that, you know, there'll be piracy, no one will be able to control it, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, their narrative now is that they love that treaty, which eventually got passed. But, you know, I was in the room where they were opposing it. The the, the motive of money making, even in our area of, of culture, uh, is, is extremely strong. But to, just to maybe switch and to focus on something, you know, more positive is, of course, the moment you open a book, you're not thinking about how much money the, the, the big publishing company behind it has, has made. You know, what we provide through the public library system is just beautiful escape. It's, it's really about being able to take your mind somewhere else. I mean, you can leave the problems about how we facilitate that to users to us. As a user, you can, you, you can access this wonderful resource in your town where basically you, you have materials to help you escape from things. That's just an incredible thing for a society to have. Now you mentioned towns across the country. Where, how many branch libraries do we have at the moment across the we country? We have 330 across, okay. across the country. And mobile libraries as well? They... Uh, well, we have some on and off the road, but I think we have getting up to 40, something like that, between 30 and 40. Okay, because I, again, I know I, as a kid, I think it was the mobile library that I used more so than than a, a static one. I mean, that was always great excitement once a week. Yeah, well, I mean, um, my wife is from Mayo, so uh, I'm over in Mayo an awful lot. And when we're talking about remote and rural areas, yeah. you know, particularly but not limited to the West, you know, mobile libraries are, are crucial, mm. absolutely crucial to, to have on the road to, to get out there. Do you have any idea how many registered members you would have? Uh, well, we, I think at the moment, at least in, in this year, we have nearly 800,000 registered members. But, you know, that's taken a hit in the last couple of years with, mm. with COVID. We're on to have a really good end of year figure because people have been coming back to the libraries. What we really want people to do is to register and then to, to be active members. Mm. That's almost like our, our kind of um, uh, the, the key metric for us. Because we want in the in the current strategy, you know, we wanted to reach 30 percent of the population as, as active library members. Now, that's that's going to be too difficult to do after the uh, after the pandemic. But, you know, over half a million people actively use their library card every year. And, you know, we, we want to grow that figure. But I mean, that's pretty incredible, really. I mean, that's that's using your card at least once. So imagine just how many people are using that multiple times. And what that translates into is, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a non-pandemic year, you'd be looking at, you know, around about 17 million library visits, okay. uh, which compares very favourably to all the other things that we do in the country, like attending sporting events and all that sort of stuff, very favourably. So it, it's, it's not a niche pursuit going to the library. It's very much part of Irish life. We just recently got the, uh, the most recent customer satisfaction survey for local authority services and libraries are number one Brilliant. and graveyards are number three okay so that you know says, that also says a lot about ireland doesn't it? that's what my friends said yeah one of my colleagues yeah very high satisfaction with both yeah what was number two um oh outdoor um it's it's uh recycling okay okay yeah okay. which is good we love to recycle right so uh, you know yeah, that is that's an interesting mix all right but all three of them are you know i think i think you know you're talking about out of out of a you know big response thing 
I think graveyards is about 80%. And then you know, uh, recycling and libraries are above that of respondents are, are very satisfied with these services. So, so you know, the, the, the library sector in Ireland is doing something right, you know. Oh, that's good. You mentioned strategy there. So I might, we might dig out that a little bit in terms of what strategies in place for the libraries at the moment, what the future holds. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's worth it's worth stating that the islands, yeah, you know, reasonably. I don't know if you can be reasonably unique. That does you're either unique or you're not. <laughs> but uh, but basically, we have a national public library system, which means that you can uh, you can go into a, a library in Dublin, pick up a book, go on holiday to to Kerry, drop it off in the in the library there, take one out in Kerry, drop it off in Donegal. You know, uh, so so the whole country's catalogue is available to you. So we have a joined up national library management system. The software is joined up. Your card will work anywhere. What that means, and this is a, a strong advantage to the country, is that we can have a national strategy. And not many countries have fully national public library strategies, often because of the demands of scale and size, but, uh, but also sometimes because, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do and people haven't done it. But yet here in Ireland, we have done it. And it was actually one of the reasons why I was very interested in, in taking the job at the LGMA, because that really appeals, being able to do stuff at scale. So we are just coming to the end of the present strategy, uh, which was called Our Public Libraries 2022. Mm -hmm. Did some really amazing things. It took fines uh, away. So, you know, there's no longer fines in the public library system. It introduced the concept of the, or, or it, it kind of really embedded the concept of the My Open Library, which is, you know, you're able to access the library after the staff have gone home. You know, if you need to get in there and study and all that sort of stuff, you can go in in the early morning and then in the evening. And, you know, we've, we've developed and delivered programs on literacy, health, business and employment, all as part of this strategy. But now it's actually time to, to refresh. So I've been spending the last sort of two or three months with a small group of people doing a, a big consultative exercise to develop the next strategy. So we had a big public consultation. We had nearly 3000 responses to our public consultation which is very, very positive for, for a kind of government strategy consultation. You know, we've got loads of stakeholders. We've had all of those guys in to talk to them about what they want. And we are putting the finishing touches on a new strategy, which will be ready to be, you know, to, to start in January, but be launched by the end of the year. Okay. And can, is there anything you can reveal from that? What yes? I mean, I think there's going to be a, a concentration on some of the, the digital skills and digital literacies piece that I mentioned earlier. And I think we're going to go deeper on that than we've done before. So kind of that, I think, has a, a lot of a lot of legs. There'll be hopefully pieces on refreshing the IT within the, the library sector and upgrading buildings where we can. A fair amount on developing library skills for users. You know, we, we certainly will be going hard again on reading and literacy, which has been which has been really big for us. And then during the current strategy, we started the Big Island Reads National Campaign, Public Library Open Day at the end of February. So so more things like that that will certainly focus on on reading. There's such a, a love for book clubs in the country as well that we want to be doing more in those areas. Uh, we're already doing loads of interesting stuff there, but we want to be able to join up some of that, maybe raise the profile of the Library Book Club a little bit more. Um, I can tell you there's going to be an RTE books series uh, on the television in January and February, which is going to be a bit like Gogglebox for books. Wow. Um, so you'll be eavesdropping on 
different book clubs reading different books and all sorts of different people. So, you know, I haven't seen any episodes yet, but the library book clubs have been involved in that. And that could be pretty funny, I think. So, uh, so it's a nice little concept. I constantly think about that, that the digital revolution and the death of the book and the death of the bookshop, and it hasn't happened. We, we are human because we love story, I think. Yeah, and, and yeah. That will never go away. No, no, I don't think it'll go away. I mean, it, it, is, it is true that we've, that we've seen any number of smaller businesses struggle in the last 20, 30 years, and whether that's a bookshop on the high street or, or you know, whether Amazon has really made inroads into the bookselling thing, and undoubtedly it has, you know, we can't deny that maybe there aren't as many places as there used to be. But, you know, if you compare Irish public libraries in the last 10 years with UK public libraries, where, you know, where I'm from, where I started my career, you know, the UK government has taken a, a, an axe to their libraries. Uh, and uh, and they've, you know, they've closed so many library buildings. They're constantly being forced to make efficiencies. And we just haven't done the same things here. Now, obviously, we had to respond to the to the financial crash. And there was, you know, definitely belt tightening. And, and uh, you know, that was not what we wanted. But you know, there's there's a, a real respect for and love for the, the, the public library service, regardless of your political party. You know, it goes it goes across the political spectrum to an extent. We've, we've well, not to an extent. We've definitely done better than somewhere like the UK as a result of that. I do think that's because here in Ireland and, and obviously I'm a bit of a blow in. I've lived here for three years, but been coming here for 11, you know, through through my wife. You know, it's undeniable that everyone here likes a good old yarn. <laughs> and uh, wants to wants to get in to you know either telling a story or reading a story and and every country does have you know it's not like there's a country out there that doesn't like stories if you see what I mean but but I think that that drives you know a desire to protect the library system to hopefully support the 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 writing environment big initiatives like Creative Ireland have gone from strength to strength there in a second five year plan now. The Arts Council's got a big new reading campaign coming out. You know, we, we try to work with the publishers and the booksellers in Ireland on the Island Reads campaign and to, to push people to bookshops where they can't get stuff from the libraries or, or even if they can get stuff from the libraries. So it's an ecosystem we're all part of. And, and I'm hoping that certainly, you know, for the duration of our next strategy, we can continue to, to strengthen it and beyond that as well. There was, there was a quote that I had pulled out and it was from a UK book, I, I will admit that, and it's long, but I'm going to do it anyway. Local libraries remain one of the most powerful examples of non-commodified local space and resource sharing. They enable us to read widely and also work as community hubs, providing internet access, meeting spaces for people to learn and connect. Crucially, libraries are places where there's no need to buy multiple copies of individual things or to contribute to overconsumption because books can be shared. Sharing material and immaterial resources is a path to both environmental sustainability and community collaboration. But these facilities require time, infrastructure and support in order to function effectively and to be sustainable and to expand, not to contract. They require funded staff and actual books. I feel I'm pleased that, that that isn't the case here in this country, that there is still support for staff, that there is still support to put books on shelves and to have the access to the information for the public. Because like, 
this particular, it's taken from the CARE manifesto, the politics of interdependence from the CARE collective, and it is, as I said, it is looking specifically at the UK and the decline of these spaces in the UK. The, the certainly the thing I would I would definitely want to point out, and I'm fortunate enough to have done a lot of international work in my career, and and you know I can tell you that a librarian, pretty much wherever you go in the world, is gonna is gonna get behind the sort of quote that you've just read out there. And certainly our colleagues in the UK have had a a very, very difficult time. You know, none of that will have changed their commitment to the sort of values that you've just mentioned there. Yeah, I mean, the the, the quote is, you can't really push back against it. I think it does lead us on to some interesting sort of other areas that that we deliver through the library service, which, you know, relate to that phrase, the community hub. And that's certainly been a popular phrase in, in sort of library theory and, and, and discussions in the last sort of 20 years or so. It is quite amazing to have the library building in the middle of your community, your small town, and some of our libraries in Ireland are very small in very small towns. But, you know, to be able to know that you could you could use that as a meeting space, to be able to use a PC, get something printed, pop down for the book club, pop down for story time, pop down for breastfeeding, all of that sort of stuff. We found it very difficult to list all the uses that library buildings are able to supply because each library can supply services for the needs of its community and the needs of a community in rural Donegal in a Gale Tucked area will be different to uh, the community around Kevin Street or, or you know other libraries in urban areas and that I think is is one of the strengths of the service there are people that feel that libraries should be just about books I'm definitely not one of those people I think we we play a role in helping people participate in society by giving them access to ideas, by giving them access to the sorts of environments in which they can have ideas, reflect on things, engage in social discourse, discussions. And, and that community hub element is something that we've really kind of developed during the, uh, the last sort of five years. I mean, it's always been there, but it's in our current strategy and we will be taking that forward as well. So. Any new library that's being built in Ireland will will be bringing you meeting spaces, bringing you places to 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 sort of study, support remote working, this this sort of thing. You know, so it's it's, it's way more than just access to what's on the shelves now. As society is changing, libraries are changing with them. So what we need from these spaces is constantly evolving because we are constantly evolving as a society. So that makes total sense, really, doesn't it? I think so. Uh, I, I don't think we would have. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, just how long libraries have been around, um, it also always, always frustrates me when people say that libraries need more technology to get with the times and stuff, because actually libraries are very, very early adopters of technology. We, you know, as a profession across the world, we've been delivering ebooks for 20, 25 years. You know, we started putting 3D printers and maker spaces into libraries in, in, in various countries 10, you know, 10 plus years ago. The library can actually play a very, we, we call it like a technology petting zoo. You can come down and try new things, laser cutters, 3D printers. We've got increasing numbers of libraries with, you know, music making facilities, recording facilities. Come down and learn how to do a podcast. Come down and learn how to code. Come down and do robotics. So, you know, introducing kids, it's a place where kids can get introduced to technology for the first time. Because, you know, some schools can, can do that, but not all schools. And then, you know, at the weekend, you can go along to your 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 coda coda dojo or you know these sorts of things and and that's where i think libraries can really do amazing stuff in exposing kids to kind of the sorts of things that they're going to be 
working with themselves in, in years to come. So yeah, another great facet of the service, I think. Yeah, I, I didn't actually think of that. Yeah, when you think of libraries and how long they've existed, so they're not a new thing. Like They're, they're resilient, but they're also extremely adaptable, which yeah. is, you know, pretty cool. Especially now when education is linked with, like from, from a social justice Ireland perspective, we can see through all of the research that's been done that educational attainment is linked with poverty, it's linked with housing, it's linked with, so to, to deny people the tools that they need to, in order to be able to complete an education or to put a huge price tag on it so that you're actually priced out of education is a real worry. We've talked about two-tier education, we've talked about two-tier everything, so two-tier libraries would really upset me now that would probably push me over the edge completely so that you can access this level of library if you're prepared to spend 200 quid a year on your library account. yeah well i mean it's it's, it's definitely uh, fortunately well the public libraries we're, we're very much affected by the license conditions under which we can so basically with an ebook in a library the publishers have, have imposed terms that you know we might pay three times more for a copy of a of an ebook than a print book and then we can only lend it out 26 times before it explodes and we have to buy it again okay. uh, so it's a nice little kind of constant earner and if you imagine if we buy a, a book we basically keep that in circulation more than 26 times you know it's having all of these conditions imposed upon us that we didn't have in a in an analog world is worrying but i i would say that the academic sector is facing just a, a terrible challenge with this price of accessing electronic resources. And yeah, there is a there is a piece there about how much more are, are, are we going to have to pay for the education that, that we're getting when these these prices are insane. If students want to to study with digital resources, then libraries going to need to fork out more. So where's that where's that money going to come from? Even the conversation then about who has access to what information is also disconcerting. This is almost a form of censorship in the sense that... Yeah, it's, it's called commodification of information. Yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a trend since the internet went mainstream at the turn of the century. It's been a, a trend that, that has always been coming. And uh, as I say, it just appears that academic resources seems to be an area that that has gone under the radar in terms of people looking at competition malpractice and this sort of stuff. So we really do need to change that because, as I say, there there are companies that are doing very, very nicely out of this. And, uh, as I say, I think any any business would like to be in a situation where it's making 26, 27% profits every year, you know, for, for decades. So, yeah, I'm not very happy with that. Two other things, actually, which I, I know I had jotted down, which were discussing innovations in libraries, the libraries of kings, you know, so that items that could be borrowed that are used infrequently. Is that something that the libraries will be getting into? Oh, do you mean uh, sort of like tools and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we already lend out musical instruments at a number of libraries across the country. Okay. Um, so, you know, you can get your tuba or your uh, your trombone or things like this. Yeah, they're, all, they're all there. Um, so, so we've certainly got musical instrument lending. I think the, the library of things, certainly where those things have been really successful, I've noted them in places like the American Midwest, in parts of Canada, where outdoor tools are very popular. But if you put it here in Ireland, we, we lend out through Dublin City Libraries, 
the kits you can use to assess your home energy usage. It's not a book. It's not a yeah. It's 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 basically something which can be of real practical use to you, and particularly with the cost of living crisis. So I also heard of libraries in Canada the other day lending out thermal imaging equipment for the same sort of reason. So you can assess where heat's escaping from your house. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. But then maybe more relevantly, during the pandemic, not so much here in Ireland, but a lot of libraries were lending out Wi-Fi hotspots and, and basically be able to, to help houses have their own Wi-Fi. Now, we did an interesting project uh, in Carlo where we used new technology from Microsoft, who are a partner with us on this. We use TV white space technology. You can send internet signals through the parts of the television spectrum that are not used by television channels. So you can actually extend library internet tens of kilometers beyond the building. And as long as the, the house on the other end has the receiving equipment, then you can be receiving library Wi-Fi or effectively library internet access without going to the building. So we did a pilot on that in Carlo, uh, which was really, really interesting. And we supported, I think, nearly 20 households that couldn't afford themselves to have Wi-Fi installed. So there's all sorts of these sorts of things that libraries can do uh, that increase access to information, equalise it across the community. And, uh, you know, again, well beyond books. The two things the pandemic taught us is first, you're on mute. But second, this image of people on Zoom with their curated bookshelves behind them. So yeah, yeah. Being a reader, reading books, it's still something that we yeah. value. Point. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's, it's always a good look. I think the first virtual background that I used was the, uh, was the Sandman's library in Neil Gaiman's The Sandman from the graphic novel. You know, I thought that was very cool for the first couple of months of the pandemic. And then I was like, no, nah, it's a bit naff now. But, you know, I was very, and everybody was, was finding kind of virtual libraries, loads of people in Trinity, all that sort of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely the case. And I believe, you know, several social media accounts where, you know, really analysed people's bookshelves, didn't they, on the, on the back of interviewees and stuff. Yeah. And COVID has shown that they are adaptable. They, I mean, because they were badly missed, like they were really missed when they closed as part of the pandemic. Well, we didn't close. We, we didn't close. Okay. I mean, we, we, the, the doors to the buildings were closed, but actually we had, we had an amazing pandemic. The people used all of the digital services. Libraries provided a ton of digital event programming. We did housebound services, door deliveries to doors. Librarians manned the community response lines that were set up. We were participants in the Keep Well campaign. We managed a big national reading campaign and a seed growing campaign with Grow It Yourself in, in uh, Waterford. Again, I do a lot of this international work and the, the same stories come across in every single country that basically it was a moment when for a lot of decision makers, they suddenly discovered that libraries were able to contribute in a, in a way that, that, that perhaps they hadn't imagined. Here in Ireland, I don't know if you can remember the very first national address given by Leo Varadkar, mm -hmm. he mentioned libraries, specifically librarians as having a role to play. And I think all of us were like, yes. You know, I mean, regardless of what you think of the political parties, yeah. we were like, thank you. <laughs> you know, <that's, laughs> thank you for that, because we do and we will. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do play that clip a little bit in my presentations because there's a recognition that if you can't go out, if you are about to enter a period of enforced 
you know, restrictions on your movement and stuff, you, you have your mind to cultivate and, and you need to be able to draw upon things that are going to be able to keep you stimulated. And, and we have this great resource. So, so we did step up to the plate. Uh, and I'd say the, the pandemic has strengthened us. Uh, and I just hope that we'll see, you know, continued investment in the service as we as we go back to normal. If any of your listeners are interested in the sorts of things that that I mentioned with regards to the uh, the ebook situation we're facing, then then ebook SOS is a good hashtag to follow on Twitter. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, we're certainly expecting the Library Association of Ireland, of which I'm a member, to be taking a, a high visible role in that over the next few months. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, any conversations that you'd like us to have, feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.